Welcome to the Impact-Led Founders Podcast, brought to you by Design Match. I'm your host, Danielle. We showcase inspiring stories of founders who are making a positive impact on our world. Join us today as we sit down with entrepreneurs who are driven by a mission to create meaningful change in their industries and communities. We explore journeys of impact-led founders and dive deep into strategies, challenges, successes that have shaped their career. So sit back, relax, and happy listening. Welcome to the Impact-Led Founders Podcast. Today, we are thrilled to have Steve, co-founder and CEO of Catalyst, on the show. With over 20 years of experience in the insurance industry and a master's degree in legal studies with a focus in insurance law, Steve is a respected insurance tech expert. We'll be discussing his journey as a leader, including strategies and challenges, as well as successes that have influenced him over his career. It's going to be a really exciting conversation, so you don't want to miss it. Steve, it's amazing to have you here on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's so fun to talk about the book and insurance and write all kinds of stuff. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. Something that I've looked into your background and you have such a diverse background. And so out of all the ideas that you've probably had in your career, what made you feel like this is the one that you want to pursue and continue with? Gosh, that's a bit of a long story. So I've been in the insurance industry virtually my entire career. Early on, I'm working in two different independent agencies in the U.S., pretty much doing every function that's there, selling operations, all kinds of different things. Got a real interest in the technology pretty early on. And so 25 years ago now, right, in 1999, I decided to start consulting full-time. The last 25 years, I've been doing research, writing, speaking, consulting, just around technology and how insurance agents can and should use it to help their clients get more business, right? All those kinds of things. About three years ago, maybe a little bit longer, a couple of state insurance associations approached me really asking about help with an idea they were trying to put together, which was helping their member agencies with technology. And so we partnered together, co-founded what's now called Catalyst, which is a platform that helps agents do several things, maximize technology, discover, evaluate, and select new things that they might want to add and then implement them as best as possible so they're actually used and not just a shiny object that somebody thought, oh, we had to have this, so let's go ahead and put it in, but actually never get around to actually maximizing the benefit out of it. So that's what I do today. And as you can tell, I'm probably on the other side of my career. And for me, it was a way to take what I built, ideas I've had, things that I've done, improve them and scale them across more agencies that I can help. Wow, that's an incredible story because it just came out of a need. I mentioned to you earlier that my family business is actually in insurance. And I know with my family and getting into this business, technology can sometimes feel scary for these agencies. Insurance is such a person-to-person business. Yes. And I would say absolutely it is. And that's not going away. Technology is not replacing that relationship. However, what a relationship means is actually changing, right? So 
text messaging or mobile apps or online client portals or, right, we can give lots of examples, are still relationship building, but in a different way. And that is a challenge for, I would say, someone like me who's been around a while, right, going, wait, we've never done it that way. But that's part of what I enjoy doing is kind of helping agents understand, absolutely, relationships are still there. How you manage that, how you help your clients better is just different today. And embracing that technology doesn't mean you lose that relationship. Exactly. And I think the approach you've taken, and I'm really excited to hear a bit more about it, but with the community approach, you teach, you educate, you've even written a book. And this community approach, I know you have the live calls that you have for people who are using your technology. Do you feel like that kind of completes that cycle, which, you know, maybe eases their anxiety about going this route? Yeah, it is. And, and all of that was very specifically designed, really based on my experience and to help agents. So you mentioned live calls. We actually have three every month. So first Tuesday of the month is what we call hot topic. So it's a deeper dive into something. And right now, my interest, I guess, is around understanding this whole new chat GPT, generative AI. Is it going to replace agents? How could it help agents? And so we did a deep dive, you know, just again, 60 minutes or so. Here's what it is. Here's the history, because actually it's been around about 30 years. And most people don't realize that. It's kind of all of a sudden they hear all this stuff. The hype cycle is really high right now. So what's practical? What's real? What should they pay attention to? What should they ignore? And so I try and figure that out. So that's just an example of a hot topic. It could be documentation. It could be, you know, how to comply with new text messaging regulation, right? All the various things that that happens. So that's the first Tuesday. The second Tuesday is what we call open Q&A. And, and the way I think about it is it's like a group mastermind call. So people get on, my team, myself and others get on and people ask questions and we just answer them live and puts us on the spot a little bit. And if we don't know the answer, we'll talk about where to research it or how to find out more or, or those kinds of things. So Again, for our subscribers, it gives them a at least once a month place where they can go and get their biggest problem, question, help that they need and get some expert opinion on what to do and how to do it. So second one. Third one is what we call Demo Lounge. So one of the things that we do is gather lots of information about solution providers, what we call vendors and the tools that they have and why agents might be interested in looking at them. Well, the demo lounge gives those vendors an opportunity to actually show their product or platform or service so that, again, our subscribers can go in whenever they want, take a look at that. And it's another piece in the puzzle of helping them decide what they want to use in their agency, meaning, right, discover who's new, who should I pay attention to? Who's a flash in the pan? Who should I ignore? Who other agents aren't having a great experience with? So help them navigate some of that. And all of those are recorded, put on the site so they can go back later. They can't attend live. 
then they can watch it. If they attend live, they can ask questions and get some real-time feedback. So again, nothing else quite like it in the industry. And I think it really serves a purpose in helping agencies. And let me also say that's why I have, when I started, I got seven independent insurance agents, state associations to actually invest in the platform because they saw such a need that their members had that they weren't able to help with. And so now Catalyst, I, my team become the outsourced technology support and information for their independent agency members. Wow. First of all, congratulations. <laughs> No, it's incredible. I think what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing and when you're speaking is the mindfulness of not just the journey of an independent agent or collective of agents from a business perspective and kind of business optimizations. I know you're expert in risk management and managing those kind of logistics of business, but also kind of helps with the emotional side of things, you know, feeling behind with technology, seeing all this stuff pop up. Or being scared of it. A lot of times it's just I know how to sell insurance, but I don't know about all this technology stuff, right? And and I think that a skill that I've developed over the years is being able to explain it in a way that they can better understand what it is and maybe more importantly, how it can help them and help their clients. And so that becomes a great place to share information and again, get their questions answered. Exactly. Wow. I just love this holistic approach. And I feel like your philosophies really show through in the business model. And kind of what philosophy I was really curious about, because I know you're an expert in strategic risk and business growth. And you mentioned that risk and your description of risk was a very positive light. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you see risk and how it differs from a lot of different entrepreneurs? Sure. And this really is kind of, and I would say I kind of have two sides of me. One side is what we've talked about is the insurance and the technology and right all that kind of stuff. And the other side is, as a result of all of that, I started asking the question, is the biggest risk agencies face? And now I broaden that out to businesses face, actually not taking enough risk, right? Because what do we know about technology? It's going fast and faster and faster, and it's not slowing down. And how do we keep up? And so, the risk of inaction is maybe a bigger risk than actually taking a step, doing something, and failing. And so I have to say, again, all of these thoughts coalesced in looking at different businesses, ones that were once very successful and are no longer here, and those that are successful and are continued to be successful. And that's where I came across Amazon. And the book I wrote, it's called The Bezos Letters. I actually did a very deep dive into the shareholder letters that Jeff Bezos at Amazon wrote starting in 1997, and then the book goes through the 2018 letter. And what I realized there was for Bezos and Amazon that risk was a strategic advantage because they were willing to experiment. And that's a key thought because what we know about an experiment is that you're going to fail because if it's an experiment that you know is going to work, it's not an experiment, right? You're testing. 
You're trying to figure out what's going to work and what's not going to work. And so I call Jeff Bezos the master of strategic risk taking. And he built that mindset into Amazon. And so when you see Amazon doing what appear to be crazy things, they're actually experimenting and testing and trying different things. So the book details 14 principles, business growth. The subtitle is 14 principles to grow your business like Amazon. And the first principle is called encourage a successful failure. Because Bezos says in his shareholder letters multiple times, Amazon is the best place for an employee to fail. Because if we're not failing, we're not pushing the envelope enough. And so, and that's kind of my unique viewpoint on risk-taking. And as you understand, right, from the family business, really counterintuitive to the whole insurance thing, right? It's all about reducing risk, transferring risk, mitigating risk, not taking more risk. But it's not just willy-nilly. It's not just throwing it against the wall and seeing what sticks. It's being really thoughtful and planning what the experiment is. So you're increasing the chance of success. And if you do fail, you have a better understanding of why and what to change next. And there are lots of examples in Amazon's history that I could tell you where they experimented, failed, tried again, tried again, tried again, and then became successful. So that's just part of who I am now and how I think. And again, I bring that in. I'm talking to agents about technology, right? It's like, you're going to fail. Don't be afraid of that, but figure out how to mitigate the downside of failing and learn from it so you can move forward. Yeah. And I think any entrepreneur listening to this today, this is probably resonating at such a deep level because in your book, you really detail how, yeah, these were calculated risks. But what I'm hearing and what I think is the interesting part is the expectation that comes with an experiment rather than this tactic that you believe is just naturally going to work. And as an entrepreneur, how what advice do you have? And probably you give these advice to your agents all the time for them managing the emotional side of this. They write it down, they plan it out logically, but then they're taking this risk that is costly. And so how do they manage the emotional side? Well, that's tough. And that's part of being an entrepreneur, right? And I always have to remind people, I think today, they look at Amazon and Bezos and richest person or close to it in the world, et cetera, et cetera. And they tend to forget he started in a garage on his hands and knees, putting books and packages and driving them to the post office, right? So he started pretty much where every business owner starts when they're starting something new. Like I said, one of the ways you manage the emotion is that you, one, understand that's a possibility. So it's not a surprise. Two is you manage the downside kind of is the phrase I use. And the example I use in the book actually is Richard Branson. Big name, successful, lots of hands and lots of different businesses. And he had the crazy idea to start an airline. Like, what? What do you know about an airline? He said, not much, but I can learn. So big risk, right? What he did, though, was his very first plane was Boeing 747. And he found out that one was sitting in Seattle at Boeing's headquarters, not being used. And so he made a pitch to Boeing to lease it just for one year because he said, I could cover one year lease payments. 
If it didn't work, I could give it back. But it has worked. Again, the progression of what he did with that. But the idea of thinking through what if this doesn't work and planning for that, and again, trying to mitigate that risk by having a shorter contract. And that was not common at the time, but he was able to convince Boeing to do that. Got him started, protected the downside, became successful, then sold it, all those kinds of things that are just normal business processes. But that's just an example. But you're right. The mindset of not being afraid of failure. Here's, I believe this actually pretty strongly, that employees aren't actually afraid of failure, but they are afraid of the consequences of failure. Meaning if you have a culture in your business, whether you're five people or 500 or 5,000 or more, if you have a culture of punishing, quote, mistakes or experiments that don't work. And again, I got to be careful here because it's you don't tolerate incompetence. We're not talking about incompetence. We're talking about trying it, seeing if it works, figuring out why it didn't, changing and moving forward. But if your culture is punishing that person, damaging their career or not getting a promotion or all those kinds of things, then you're not as a business going to be moving forward because people won't take the risks that I think businesses need to take, especially today when things are moving so fast to be able to understand better how to serve their customers better. And that really is the bottom line. That is huge, I think, especially as you're scaling. You know, you have the start, You maybe you are an independent agent, single, then you have this team that's growing around you. You are the master at doing everything. <laughs> you know how to do everything. Right. That's right. You know exactly the way you would do it. And it takes kind of a lot of self-awareness to be able to go off some control. And it takes also trusting the people you hire and hiring the right people for you as well. But I think this is something that a, a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with, which is letting go of some of that control to allow room for creativity. Yeah, absolutely. And again, part of one of the principles is not lowering your standards when you're looking to hire. You want to hire the highest quality people that you can find so that you do trust them to make decisions on their own. Once they understand the culture and the process and your mindset, again, me starting a new company, that's a lot of what I do is reinforce with my team, okay, let's think about that decision. How does that help agents or does it not? Does it help us more than it helps our customer? And you want to be careful of that. And again, people start understanding that and start thinking that way which gives you a bit more freedom to delegate and to let others step in. Definitely. And I think you outlined this really well in your book, the actual playbook that Bezos actually used to mitigate this risk. And it involves the people who he's working with and it involves the people who he's collaborating with as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I could also see your passion for teaching or educating. Can you tell me about the process of before you dived into these shareholder letters, what motivated you to, to even go that direction and to realize, okay, there's something here that needs to be written about and that needs to be communicated? I would say kind of underlying all of this is a couple things come to mind. So I've taught CE classes forever, right? 25 years, maybe longer. And I really do like helping others kind of have a light bulb moment go off going, 
oh, that's how that could work. And I see that in eyes when I'm in front of 100 agents doing a CE class on technology, or I did one for a long time called The Changing Nature of Risk. So all the new stuff, when Uber was first coming out, right, all the insurance questions around that and helping them dive in deeper to what are those questions? Why do you need to be concerned? And how can you help your customers make sure they're covered correctly, et cetera? But it really is those light bulb moments. And if I have a skill, I think it's being able to dive a bit deeper into a topic. Certainly on insurance, there's no question there. I actually have a very weird master's. I actually have a master's in insurance law. And you got it 10 years after you graduated. Is that correct? Yes. I went back. It was weekends and nights and that kind of stuff. And so I had this weird mix of a real interest in technology and a pretty deep experience in insurance and policies and coverage and contracts. And marrying those two together actually has been pretty successful because there are not too many people that have those two different skill sets that can kind of bring that perspective. And I will tell you the book. So I read through the letters, was pretty fascinated early on with what was there. Most shareholder letters are boring and really not worth reading. Bezos is a really good writer and he's a really good storyteller. And so that's kind of captured me when I was reading through the letters. And so my first iteration or something was I actually wrote out for each of the letters at the time a one-page summary of each letter. So kind of an executive summary, right? Here's some highlights, some points. Here's some key quotes. Here's a couple comments or takeaways that you might have on it. I put that together, showed my wife, who happens to be in the book business. She showed it to the publisher she was working for, and they both almost immediately came back and said, this is not a white paper, it's a book. And so that started probably an 18-month-plus process of actually writing. That was a whole other story, or I've written articles for years and do that pretty easily. Writing 65,000-word book, which is what the book ended up being, is a whole different story, right, in terms of how do you actually draw somebody through the book? and want them to go to the next chapter, and all of those kinds of things. So it was definitely a learning experience for me. Definitely. And before I ask my next question, something that I love about your journey, and that's it's so fascinating, is that other people see the value in the things that you do. Your interests drive you in a direction, and then people see the value, and they ask for more, they engage with you. And I love that because your, your interests and the things you're diving into are solving problems that exist today. I think sometimes when we think of a business, we're thinking, oh, what's a business idea that I can have? But what I love is your curiosity, your interest, and your natural motivation pushes you in a certain direction, and you solve problems that people are facing today that are so clear that the value is non-negotiable. Yeah, that's an interesting comment. Thank you for that. And I think I do have the ability to kind of put different things together and in a way that is easier to understand, easier to apply to someone's own situation. So, yeah. Well, thank you. And just with the book, you know, I, I think it's so interesting and it's such a unique approach. There's a lot of business books out there, but I think this book is 
a little bit deeper. It goes a little further into, for sure, strategy, but also mindset. And it's this unique combination that I haven't seen so much on the shelves. And I wanted to ask you, for the people listening today, who is this book for? It was written for business owners and almost any size, small to very large. And so those 14 principles, I group, and you sort of alluded to them, I grouped into four cycles, what I call test, build, accelerate, and scale. And as a business grows, their needs change, how they approach things change. As Amazon grew, there were different kind of components that Bezos started putting together to help them grow. Both the principles and the cycles was a better way to help business owners kind of understand maybe where they're at now and what things they might want to look at in the future. So back to your question, I want to say it's for any business owner that wants to grow or wants to figure out how they can be like Amazon. And again, I'm going to put a little caveat on that. Most people, and certainly business owners I talk to, may not want to be like Amazon. Meaning, I don't want to be that big. I don't want to have a million, 300,000 employees. I don't want, and that's okay. That's where I think the principles can apply regardless of what your goal is as a business owner. Having 10 employees, maybe that's comfort level or 50 or whatever the number is and whatever size you are as a business, these can help you grow to where you want to be and sustain the business. Remember, I first started saying I looked at companies that had once been very successful and were no longer here. You know, the Blackberries, the CompUSAs, the Borders Bookstore, the Sears, the right, we can go down all kinds of lists of those. And what happened, and I think a lot of it was as they grew, when they scaled, they lost some of that entrepreneurial spirit. And that's why I always like to highlight the principle 14, which is believe it's always day one. And you talk about mindset. It's a mindset of when you walk into the doors of your business, whatever it looks like, or you go into your office at home and you're working remote, whatever that is, is your mindset. This is the first day I've opened for business. That excitement, that focus on the customer, that what products can we create that will delight customers? All of that is part of a mindset that if you keep it in your business, you can continue to be successful at whatever level that means for you. Definitely. Wow, that also resonated with me, you know that beginner's mindset and definitely taking the wisdom that you've collected over the years of being an expert in your field, but kind of the approach to risk, experimentation, new ideas, technology, bringing that fresh mindset to the table definitely is one of the keys for innovation. And what I love about the book and how it brings you through this journey is that it is holistic. Like you said, whether you're looking to become an Amazon or you're just looking to grow the family business and leave a legacy, it really brings you through every step of the way. And that's why I love what you're doing at Catalyst because it is holistic. It's not, we're guiding you. We're not telling you you should be anywhere else, but wherever you want to be, we're going to provide you with the resources to get there. And I think that's also what the book does for other business types. And I think it does too. And that's, again, that mindset now Obviously, I've spent a lot of time thinking about some of this stuff as just part of who I am anymore. I sort of can't talk without 
expanding out in terms of what I think are, again, positive things that people can do. And, and I would also say the, the other interesting thing that's happened is I've actually had nonprofit executives tell me how much they got out of the book, even though, quote, it's not designed necessarily for them, but some of those same mindsets. And again, for them, it's translating the customer obsession to donor obsession or to whatever it is for them. And that, to me, is an indicator that they really are principles. They're not techniques, not just tools, but they're principles that can be applied across multiple organization types. Fantastic. Yeah, I love that it's not just only applicable for profit-driven organizations, but it's more about the mindset around serving. Who can I help? How can I serve? How can I bring value into the world? And I think that's you also. Where can we get this book, actually, for anyone listening? Well, obviously, it's on Amazon. And just if people are watching, I'll give you the cover here so you can kind of see. And that is not Jeff Bezos. That is actually a stock photo. So, uh, (laughs) but obviously on Amazon. And then the book website is thebezosletters.com. And there's some additional information there that might be helpful as you're reading through the book. And again, one of the things I did in the book very purposely is at the end of each chapter, because I wanted people to be able to apply the concept or the principle I was talking about, I have some questions that people can think about and write out answers to, et cetera. So I hope it's a small little workbook, but just a way not just to read it and go, oh, that's a good story, but how could I apply this in my situation, be that a business or a nonprofit or a religious organization or wherever I might be? Yeah. So I'm also, anybody listening or watching, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. And would love to connect with you on LinkedIn also. Amazing. We'll put all this in the show notes. Anyone listening should definitely get this book because I think that it has this unique approach to business, to understanding risk, to scaling, to thinking about the start of your business as well and really highlighting kind of that grit time when, you know, things aren't what we're seeing in the news of like Bezos with all these employees. It's kind of, I think it's very grounding. As an entrepreneur, I feel like it can give you some more confidence in where you are in your journey. That's great. Well, I was just going to say, so if you're thinking about getting the book, a couple points. One, it was, and I'm really gratified. I never expected this to happen, but it appeared on the Wall Street Journal and the USA Today bestseller list, and it's been translated into 19 languages. And actually, you can see kind of behind me here, some of those are book covers from foreign editions that have been published. And On Amazon, there are over 500 reviews with an average of four and a half star rating. So it does seem to be resonating with people. So I invite you to check it out and contact me if you have any questions. I'd be more than happy to respond. Amazing. And last question here for the day, because I could talk to you forever, is outside of work, outside of helping, outside of really giving so much value to community, what other things do you like to do to recharge and stay creative? I would say I read a lot and I enjoy reading and both kind of insurance technical stuff, but also detective stories. And right now I'm 
kind of in the middle of Stephen King's, one of his newer books called Fantasy, which is just a really interesting, I'm really, I guess, amazed and impressed by his creativity and how much he writes. So that's just fun. But I would say the real answer to that question is I love to cook and I love to experiment with cooking. And I always tell people it's a hobby my wife completely supports. And so, and I bring a lot of technical cooking, if that makes sense, in terms of I'd experiment with different techniques and try a lot of different things. So, yeah, I enjoy that a lot. That's my relaxation. I love that. Well, thank you for such an amazing talk. If anyone would like to connect with Steve, all his information is going to be here in the show notes so you can get in touch. But make sure you check out this book. I guarantee you it's going to be a fantastic read. But yeah, thank you so much for your time, Steve. What I got to say, if you're in the insurance business, check out Catalyt, C-A-T-A-L-Y-I-T, which stands for Catalyst for Change and IT for Technology. I got to get that last plug in there. (laughs) I love it. No, I absolutely love it. A hundred percent. Well, thank you so much for your time. And (laughs) this has been fun. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Impact-Led Founders podcast brought to you by Design Match. To learn more about Design Match, visit designmatch.io. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review and share this with your network. We love hearing from our listeners and each review helps us share the impact that our guests are making in this world. Also, make sure you search Impact-Led Founders in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure you click and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes I'm your host, Danielle. Thanks so much for listening.